Hi, welcome back to Eight Words or Less. This is the podcast series that distills leadership and management books into, surprise, surprise, Eight Words or Less. Some of you know me already. I'm Sammy and I'm one of your hosts. And I'm James. I'm your other host. And this week, we are very lucky to be joined by Bex Beer, the CEO of Avec Trade UK. Bex, I was trying to think, I think it's five, six years ago that, that we first met. And I remember it really clearly because I was, a, I, I was, I am, I suppose, technically still a banker, although I never really think of myself in that way. And I remember walking to your office and thinking, this place is so cool. I wish I worked here. <laughs> I just remember it as being this really fun, open environment. And, and the work that you did was just amazing at the time and continues to be so. And, and from, you know, observing from a distance, I've seen uh, Avec just grow from success to success under, under your leadership. So I know how busy you are and very grateful for your time today. Thank you for joining us. No, absolutely. So thank you also for, for the book recommendation. As you said, it's not a small book, so it was definitely a commitment of time, but it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. And actually, as I was reading it and I was looking, I'm looking forward to discussing this because I was, I was looking at your profile and, and, and Avec, and I, I, I could see some elements of what was in that book actually coming through. I love what you put on your LinkedIn when you say, love what you do. It is so hard and it's easier to overcome hurdles if you have a passion. And actually, in his book, he says, make your passion and your work one and the same and do it with your people you want to be. So how did you come across the book? 18 months ago, this is how recent this book has been life-changing for me. 18 months ago, I found myself on a golf course with a really cool individual. We were in similar positions and we were talking about buying out um, the other shareholder in our businesses. We were both talking about the instability and state of flux in our lives, both business and personal. So it was dating and all of those types of things. And, um, and he said, okay, top three books, Bex. And then um, we talked through what our book recommendations, and this was his by far number one. And when someone is evangelical about a book, I'm just intrigued. Um, and he talks about it being the mechanics of business success. Now, I was in, like I said, in this period of flux and just kind of looking at how I build, how I was going to negotiate with this um, silent shareholder. And so I picked up the book and I literally marked it. I, um, I was sacrilegiously marking every single page, which people hate, but I had two colored pens, life and work principles, two colors, and left no white marks. It, I just devoured the book. And then I just went, a lot of this feels completely in line with how I live or work. I found Ray's um, vision is just absolutely synced. I loved his fallibility. I loved his honesty, his authenticity, his humanity, and his failures, which I could relate to big time. And um, it just has been the journey of the last 18 months. And, and what's funny about this podcast is yesterday was the day officially I became 100% owner of Vec UK. Um, and it has just been a journey. And this book has become like, just a guiding principles for business and also for my personal life. So it's, it's been quite life-changing. Wow. Well, congratulations, Bex. And I just want to echo, welcome to the show. I'd love to zoom into some of that fallibility or the failures that have informed your journey a little bit. So the author talks about the importance of failure in his life and how bad decisions have resulted in him having at one stage to let go of everybody in his organisation. And Ray says, quote, Along your journey, you will have to experience painful failures. 
it is important to realize that they can either be the impetus that fuels your personal evolution or they can ruin you depending on how you react to them. So Bex, how have failures informed your leadership journey and brought you to our show today? I think failures have been the foundation of my life's journey um, and that's personally and in business. I've had other businesses that have failed. They've been significant in teaching me how not to do something. I love that failure is the first attempt in learning. I heard that recently. So I've known failure. I've actually had to let people go. So that really hit home to me when he described his journey and that he became the only person that was employed at one point because he had to let even some of his best friends go. And I've sat there and had to let people go. And and then when he talks about rebuilding it and learning it and then wanting to reflect often on the pain so that he could progress, I was had complete affinity to that. So even in COVID times and pre-COVID, there's been moments in this business's journey where um, it's just the, the fans there and it's just about, it's all going to go wrong. What do we do? I remember sitting down with the team one time a couple of years ago and we had this one million pound order for a customer and it was all going wrong. And just someone said, get on a plane Bex, which I did the next day, flew to the Far East. And I was packing boxes for about 48 hours, just knowing that I wasn't going to let it fail. And, and if we were going to fail, at least we've done everything that we could possibly do. So I know that failure becomes the fuel within our business. And what we do here is whenever we fail, we record it. And I, I mean, it goes back to like black spot thinking and all those other types of books that are saying, but failure is really, really educational and it can help progress if it is recorded and reflect on it. And I think that's one of the key messages I get from this book is it's not just about failing. Fail well, strive for a lot, which is what he says, but also reflect on it, reflect on that pace that you can progress. Nelson Mandela said, I never lose, I either win or learn. And it sounds to me like that's been the framing throughout your leadership journey as well. There's always something to learn and then to share those learnings with your team, I guess. How do you, how do you find the personal grit or resilience then to pick yourself up and just to keep moving forward? I think it is about not becoming an island in that I have a team that I can rely on. And it's where he talks about leaning on believable people. I have a very close net of believable people around me that when I feel like, okay, I may be a little bit out on the depth, um, what would you do in this situation? And I've learned um, that to have the courage to not have all the answers. I think when you're in a leadership position, you often think because you're elevated, that you should have all the answers and everything comes from you down. Whereas I've just learned, just make it so it's an open dialogue and therefore it isn't personally on me. And I think that was also a lesson that I learned through this is it's okay to not have all the answers and that you just lean on believable people and that you can learn from each other. So when I personally am flagging or when I feel like, ah, I'm out of my depth, I know it's not just about me. It comes to the point you were saying about reflecting on failure. So he talks about the fact that one of the things failure illustrates is your own weaknesses. And he says that there's a big mistake people make that they don't look at their own weaknesses objectively and, and therefore bump into them again and again. But once you once you failed at something and you know that it's not your strength, you, he says you should be happy about that because then you can surround yourself with those believable people who complement your weakness with a strength in that area. Yeah. I think he says, identify, accept, and learn how to deal with weaknesses. But, it's, but it takes courage. Like a lot of people 
there's an ego in there and that's what comes back to that radical honesty and radical transparency it's as much about being radically honest with yourself as it is with everybody else this concept of radical transparency when i was reading that through the book i just thought it was i mean i found it fascinating but it's the extent to which they do it I mean, obviously, my only reference point is the book, but it genuinely doesn't feel like they're just saying this. I mean, you look at the steps they take to record all the meetings and make them publicly available. I mean, there was one memo where the, and this really caught my attention, a junior colleague in the organization wrote to to Ray, who was the CEO at the time, and told him that your performance, Mr. CEO, merits a D rating in that meeting. And I have to say, I don't think my career would 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 be advanced from that type of a message. But as a CEO and a leader, how do you feel about transparency? How would you feel if you received a memo like that? And do you think there's a limit on, on how transparent you should be? Or do you agree with the author? Do you, should it go to that extent? I think there's a number of points. Number one, I would celebrate the fact that someone within my business felt that confident to give me honest feedback. I mean, I'd be intrigued at how they went about that, but you've got to kind of celebrate the fact that you've created a culture of respect and honesty and that it's two-way. So likewise, you give, um, like my team, I give them feedback. Why would they not also then give me feedback? And it creates this trust. Okay, so radical honesty and transparency is uncomfortable to begin with. But like any muscle, like you've got to exercise it. But what happens and what I find is they start to trust. The trust if you say something and it's not about just personal opinion like it's it, it's valuable so they will only put value in it if it is two ways and i've had some interesting feedback in in my lifetime and um you know it can be really hard but it makes you more measured when you're also giving feedback to the people that you work with and that comes back to meaningful relationships meaningful work like it only has meaning and value where it's a two-way thing and that there's respect So I would celebrate the fact if someone sent me that email and I have had feedback and then I would kind of park my ego because that's part of this too is park your ego, reflect, think about it. Is this a weakness? Where can I improve? If we're not doing that as leaders, then the culture will filter down to also our team also going, oh, no, I'm going to disregard that feedback. Oh, no, that's not valuable. That's not what I want to hear. So you can lead from the front. Yeah, I agree. My observation is many team members, they attach feedback to performance, maybe measurements or to remuneration. And if as leaders, we're able to decouple some of those things while staying realistic, then it just becomes data, it just becomes information. And then the people who work with us are able to do something more useful with it. And Bex, as I just explore a little bit more the open-mindedness and the curiosity, I'd love to know a little bit about your decision-making. My sense is that the world is becoming even more ambiguous and complex out there. So how do you reach decisions with your team? What are some of the tips or tools to get that constructive disagreement? So I'll give you an example. Last week in the UK, the Prime Minister put restrictions in back into place um, all to do with COVID. And I know that's um, a topic that you guys uh, cover in podcasts. So what we did the very next day is I came in and I do these TMTOs in the morning with the company. And they're like two minute, 10 minute, 20 minute takeovers. That's what TMTO stands for. So I sat on Teams and the, and the business is, there's a lot of people still in the office 
um, and it's all COVID secure. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get off my seat and we're going to get into groups, face masks on, and we're going to talk about how you feel about this, the restrictions, because we need to have a conversation. This isn't about me deciding how we're going to be and, and what the world's going to look like in the next week, two weeks, and how these restrictions are going to be lived and breathed throughout the business. So we got on the chair and then we, we all sat and broke up into little rooms because it's very open plan here so we can space. And we sat and had a conversation and everyone was able to bring their fears and their frustrations, their concerns and their disagreements. And it was done in a very respectful way and in small groups because small groups work and people have a, a better, um, what's the word, confidence to have a voice in a smaller group. Um, and so we did it that way and then we collated all of the different feedback and then said hey guys this is what we think we've captured as what we've agreed we're going to do as a business and that may change in a week as things keep changing but what we're going to do is keep talking with you and we're all going to decide this together and it's not that we lose the ability to make decisions because it's a community-based decision it's got to bring people along with the decision-making process because they've got to own it and feel responsible for the decisions because a lot of them have got to then live by what we've agreed. So that's something that we do. And that has worked, especially during a changing times that's so unstable as this COVID way of working in businesses. And that's probably the best example that I've got of how we are operating. I also like, it's interesting, Bex, because if you remember when he talks about the art of thoughtful disagreement, one of the techniques he says is try and articulate back to the person you're disagreeing with their perspective because that can illustrate that you've understood them and you're not just in your own head trying to convince the other person you're right and it sounds like in a way that's that's what you're doing at a team level you're collating the feedback and then presenting it back to the team saying this is what we understood from that discussion is that right yeah and I would say that they are company-wide ways of working. And when you get me and the exec team together, we have in our boardroom printed out about thoughtful disagreement. And I said, we've, we've got to be in a safe place where we can not argue with each other, but really be passionate about what we think, where we're validating so that we can disagree with each other. Here is a safe place so that when we leave this room, we're united in how we then um, operate or what we then implement. So it's really important to surround yourself with smart people who are not reluctant to disagree. Because like I said, I don't have all the answers and no one person does. And I love that about the book is he's saying, you know, surround yourself with smart people, believable people. And then whether it's at a team level, whether it is in an exec level or a boardroom level, wherever it is, even in your personal life, if you can just ask, listen, feedback, and then also say, is this, is this what I think I heard you say? but also be confident enough to disagree. And I've heard leadership teams describe a problem statement, which is meeting silence, corridor violence. And I guess it starts at a team level. If you're able to have those honest, challenging conversations, then it just, everybody becomes happier, more productive. But that feeds back to that when they know, anyone in my business, they know that they will be heard and um, there is that trust that the feedback is two ways and that we are transparent with our decision making and they can and they can challenge it. I think it just changes the culture of the business. 
And I, and I think that's what's made us stronger. And as we grow and we are succeeding in these uncertain times, I just think that that's what makes our culture and our people and our team so connected with each other is there is this mutual respect and transparency. So it's more in the rooms than in the corridors. Bex, I was interested. There's so much in the book that resonated, that took away. And, and, and again, thank you for recommending it. But there were some things that as I was reading, I mean, the, the word ruthless might almost be, be too, uh, too easy a word in a way. And there was, there was particularly, you know, he talks about new employees. If they can't do the job after you've trained them and given them time to learn, just get rid of them. He talks about holidays and, and actually he seems to expect people to make sure they're tuning in for holidays and other stuff. Do you think... That, that type of thinking still has a place as well? Do, do you think he is overemphasizing it or do you actually think that is an important part of creating this idea meritocracy that he talks about and which I do agree with? I think he is fundamentally a pragmatic individual, which is why he records all of his principles. He's, he's, he's a, a mechanical brain thinker. Um, I'm an emotional brain thinker. I know that about me as I was reading this. So I, there are some things where I do disagree, where it talks about almost like a higher, slow, fire, fast approach, which is totally alien to me because I'm more like, if you've hired slow and you've profiled and you've done everything, you, you really are invested already in that individual's success. And um, so there are parts that I don't agree with him on, but I, I feel like he's a very pragmatic individual and he's built the mechanics like um, originally pitched when someone told me about the book. It is almost like the mechanics, the machinery behind a business success. So it can seem very ruthless. Um, is there a place for ruthlessness? No, I don't believe there is. I think there is candid, there's honest, and everything can be delivered in a kind way. I think the world has, has gone past like my way or the highway type of approach. But I, I just think he's just pragmatic. And that's when I looked at it and I kind of forgave him those parts because I was like, I just think he's just looking at the mechanics of the success. And I, I understand that. I just am different. I think also, Bex, the research has moved on since the book was published. So I was reading an interesting article by Harvard Business Review the other day, and it talked about the importance of hiring for cultural ad rather than cultural fit. But the emerging research is that there's a new category called cultural adaptability. The ones who demonstrate over time that they're able to shape and change to work with the adapting cultural norms is becoming even more important for success. So looking at what these cultural adapters could be like in our organizations that are fast moving and dynamic, it's suggesting that the research is moving forward constantly. So I'm not surprised that you hold some different perspectives than Ray. And, and you look back at his, his life journey and where he's at right now, like, cause I, I do follow him. I think he's an individual that I respect in the business sense. Like he's lived through a lot of um, almost like world economic failures. So he's, he looks back, he's a very interesting, intriguing individual. And he's, I, I, I respect that, but I'm in, yeah, we're in a slightly different culture and, and people. And you look at who I'm hiring and they're a lot younger and, and there is, a more rounded way of hiring and it is about holistically looking at the individual which is why we're profiling which weirdly he also recommends in the book but it's really made a significant difference to us 
And it is your profile for their adaptability and their ability to flex and their attitude towards change. And, and we find that that makes a huge difference because you, you do want them to add to your culture. And, you, and we, I've just hired like six new people um, in the last week. And now we're looking at how we shape them, how we involve them, but also how do they help us be better? And that goes back to reflecting and saying, okay, well, what can you add to a vet? Like, where, where's the additional value? And, um, and it's so it's exciting. So I do, yeah, I think the world's moved on, but I fundamentally think that the, the basic principles that he really extols in this book just will just exist forever, like the life-changing. Amazing. So, Bex, thank you. You know, on this show, we like to distill leadership and management books into eight words or less. And James came up with a central message of transparency and openness are foundations of success. If you had to distill it into a central message of eight words or less, what would that be? So I went really, I went all over the place with this because it's such a big book. Here is where I got to, and it's funny, but it's really, really, really good life and work principles. Fantastic. So. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Can you share one of the earlier versions as well that, that led you to that? Yeah, so I started with Principles Forge, Radical Personal, Authenticity and Growth. It just felt like guff. So I just was like, it is. I love it. Fundamentally, it just is really, really, really good <laughs> <laughs> principles for work and life. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you, Bex, James, and of course, all of our listeners. As always, use the hashtag eight words or less to share your insights and perspectives, experiences. And if you've not already done so, click subscribe so you can download our previous episodes and make sure you never miss a new one. Bye for now.